ever think you might need a little more out of life, why not try Chasing Diamonds with Andy Cordley, a podcast aimed at bringing out the extraordinary nature of the human experience and the curiosity, wonder, and creativity that drives it. It is his most sincere hope that today's episode tickles your fancy. So now, without further ado, here is your host, Andy Cordley. On the road again. I'm so happy that I'm on the road again. Welcome, everyone, to an episode of Chasing Diamonds All Natural, coming to you live, not live, from Litterfrack on the west coast of Ireland. I came out here because I had some free airfare due to or do as a reward from giving up my seat on an aircraft at the start of my last trip. As such, I was able to book a quick winter holiday <clears throat> into Ireland, which I think has become probably my favorite... Oh, that's so bloody hard, but could be my favorite country. Um, I just love the scenery, the people, the food the accent, the vernacular of speech. It just makes me feel like a child, which is now a good opportunity to introduce this episode's theme. So what I want to talk about now is traveling with expectations. Now, on the surface, you might think that traveling with expectations is a bad thing. You don't want to set your expectations too high. That way, if something goes wrong or if the location or people or attraction is not as cool as you expected, you won't be disappointed. But there's another vein of this which I think can make your trip even better. And to start this, I just want to tell you, or to give you this sort of lengthy explanation as to what I'm talking about, I want to start with talking about what I did today or and yesterday. So I've, uh, I'm here in two, I've been here for two days. This is my second evening. Um, flew out on the 10th and arrived at 11, on the 11th in the morning in Dublin Airport, and I took a train immediately after having a long cab ride with this absolutely delightful chap who immigrated there from Moldova, and he and I shared a similar traveling dream of renting a 4x4 and trudging our way through Siberia into Mongolia, which is something I've always wanted to do. And, and I almost wanted to tell Andre, like, hey, man, you should call me if you ever are down to do that. But uh, I took a train to Galway, which is on the West Coast, if you're not familiar with Ireland. <clears throat> and when I got there, I took a bus... Actually, my baggage for the first time in my life wasn't loaded onto the aircraft, so it was still in America. And I was only wearing, like, a a T-shirt and my jacket, like a a sort of like a windbreaker, if you can imagine, a windbreaker jacket, and then these sort of dressy jeans. And I was going a-rambling later that day and... The day after that, I was going to go to Connemara National Park in the wild sort of west coast of Ireland. 
excuse me if I drip, sorry, not drift, drip, drift is what I meant to say into an Irish accent because it's inundated every corner of my speech and I'm doing my best to resist it because I don't want to seem ridiculous. But the man at the baggage claim desk in Dublin airport told me that I should keep all the receipts of any purchases I need to make. That way, I can be reimbursed by United. And so what I did is I went to Galway Woolen Factory and I bought uh, mittens, or not mittens, gloves, a scarf, and a giant sweater um, to insulate me from the cold and wind and rain of which there is almost a constant here in the West. It's not... I don't want to go and say that it's not so bad in the east coast of Ireland, but because it's crazy, the weather is tumultuous no matter where you plan your trip here on the Emerald Isle, but in the west particularly because it gets all the the wind and storms coming from the Atlantic Sea Ocean thing. (laughs) Uh, The big blue wet thing, is I think they said that in the Muppets. Anyway... um, they get crazy wind, uh, wind changes and weather changes, and so it's been raining harsh to drizzle all day today. And if I didn't have my woolen equipment, I would have sur- surely suffered hypothermia. So that was an interesting occurrence. Anyway, I took a train to Galway, and I took a bus after buying all my woolen clothing and stuff, had a cup of coffee and a spot of lunch and I took a bus to a town called Uchterar and in Uchterar there is a beautiful castle called Ugnanur. I have no idea if that's correct. The pronunciation is very difficult even though they have the English underneath the Irish. It's still spelt weird and um, I'm not sure which letters are silent and which are not. But Ugnanur is what it looked like. Lovely castle. Immediately started raining. <laughs> but I took a bus to this place in Uktara, jumped out, and I had to walk about four kilometers to get to the castle. And I'm walking down these windy country lanes with moss-encrusted stone walls on each side of the road. And it's just delightful. And then within 19 hours of s- setting out from Virginia... I'm standing on the doorstep of this castle from the 14th, 15th century. Really well-preserved, beautiful, along a river, absolutely gorgeous. Then I did some more rambling to see the loch, or the lake, or the lug. I think it's L-O-U-G-H in Irish. And then I took a bus back to Galway, and it was all charming and lovely. And then in Galway, I walked and looked at the cathedrals. One cathedral. I don't know why I said that. Their weird university, which is basically Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Had a good dinner, and then I tried to recover from jet lag. So today, I missed my bus to a town about 89 kilometers north of Galway called Litterfrack, which is where I am now, and there wasn't going to be another bus until late in the evening, like almost at dark. And today, as part of my plan, I had 
booked a B&B, and I was supposed to, actually it's a hostel, I thought it was a B&B, and I th- was going to explore Connemara National Park, and I missed the bus, so what I had to do was hitchhike, and now a lot of people say hitchhiking is very easy in Ireland, I found it's about as hard as most places in the world I've tried to hitchhike in, except for Northern Virginia, uh, but eventually a the most saintly, beautiful man by the name of Sean picked me up, and he was going to a town called Clifton, but he actually detoured just to take me to Letterfrack because the wind was so heavy and the rain was bad, and he didn't think I was wearing sensible clothing. I thought I was, but I actually wasn't. Well, I guess that my top half was fine, but those jeans were thin and bullshit. So I actually went into a hardware store and bought like highway repairman's pullover wind or wind and waterproof trousers, which were perfect. <clears throat> but driving through the region of Connemara from Galway, just outside Galway, just outside Salt Hill actually, which is a little north of Galway, to Letterfrack or Letterfrack was exquisite. I think. Oscar Wilde described it as the most impressive place of savage beauty he'd ever seen. And the rolling hills of draw, you know, long rushes mixed with heather and thistle and bracken, some of which was covered in snow, which they got recently, which is apparently, according to these two ladies I met on the train, very rare. They don't often get snow in Ireland. So Emerald Isle became the the wintry isle. And I just thought, while taking the train from Dublin to Galway, I just thought, is there any more soothing combination of colors than white and green? It makes you just smile. It makes you real at ease, I think. Anyway... But there were these lakes all over the place, right and left side of the road, <clears throat> as we went along the N59, the national road. Uh, and the wind was whipping the waves across, and there were hills to my left constantly caked in snow, water pouring off of them into the lakes. There were bracken with their little green flowers. <clears throat> not green flowers, sorry, yellow flowers. They have these little yellow flowers on them and it grows everywhere. The little flowers are like wedding bands, wedding it to the the country. But um, savagely beautiful and rain and stone walls and Connemara sheep, which are a special breed of sheep and they just wander wherever they want. <clears throat> it was... Probably, let's say, let's compare it to my own country. I had never seen a place that looked so much like it was trying to get you. Like if the idea of wandering around in Connemara is especially daunting because more than most wildernesses, it really does look like it's trying, it's like out to get you. There's no combination of it that's, that's, let's say, 
hospitable or, you know, livable. It's just wind and wet and heather and potholes and bogs and lakes and rock. There's just nothing around to affect, let's say, primitive living with. The idea of like if you're a, like a Neanderthal or something. Anyway, absolutely beautiful. And we went along, Sean and I, who told me we were talking about travel and China and all kinds of things. He has three daughters that live in Vancouver. He's retired and does a bit of reading, does a bit of golfing and a bit of lawn work there. So he was absolutely delightful. And he, I remember he said that you should come and and teach English here in Ireland because he he was saying due to instantaneous communication, text messaging, you know, Facebook, the vernacular, the vocabulary is beginning to shrink. Uh, he called it pigeon English. And he said the, con- the country's youth is really losing touch with that sort of heritage of English, which is, you know, a crazy, artful, gentlemanly language. Uh, utilized by Shakespeare and etc. I laughed at that. I thought he assured me that I would write a book someday. Got me thinking, anyway, about that. And I think if I was to write a book, I would probably... I'm thinking about maybe starting it at 30. Like, once I have a lot of travel experience under my belt, and I can cement a little more this theory that I want to talk about today... So, just to finish off with what I did today, if you want to explore the hills of Connemara, there are plenty of towns with different attractions. Like I said, the castle was great. Closed in winter, unfortunately. Uh, Connemara National Park is where I went. And I walked up there, and I walked up to the gravel paths lined with heather and stone walls, and the wind was blasting me, and the weather was blasting me, and I kept climbing, but I was covered in wool, which does a really good job of staying mostly dry, even in those kind of ruddy conditions. And I was really loving it. It was beautiful, and there's that Irish gray colored stone peeking out of the heather bogs and stuff. And it's just windswept, and Every time a bird chirped, it just set my the, the hair on my neck standing up because that landscape is just so archaically medieval looking. It just, it's so mystical to walk through. I, you know, so much of Ireland is like fenced off. You, if you looked at Ireland from 5,000 feet in the air, like in a hot air balloon, you'd see the whole country is like cordoned off with stone walls. And so it's hard to just ramble places because you never know when you're in somebody's yard or somebody's property. But this Connemara National Park, to walk among the terrain of Connemara was amazing. And I think it was a real privilege to do it in winter in the wet and the rain and the wind and the cold because you get the feeling that that's Connemara's natural state. And if you were to come here in the summer... And it's 60 degrees, sunny, you know, a bit of breeze. 
you get the feeling that that's sort of fake and that the real Connemara, how it's really meant to be observed is through squinted eyes due to rain and wind. And But anyway, I climbed up these paths to the point, and this suddenly I, uh, where it, the trail, to the point where the trail split off and went higher up into the hills and to where it just roped around and returned back to the visitor center along the lowlands, I looked behind me and saw, like, I'm not sure what you would call it or if it has a name on its entirety, but it's, it was a landscape picture. And folks, if you are interested in my description of this, you can go and look at my Instagram account because I posted a lot of photos of my hike today. What I saw was a beautiful landscape portrait of harsh and savage coastline terrain. And so you had a, in the foreground, there were, there was a little red, red heather, green with, and yellow with bracken sort of valley, where there were some cows, and it sloped down towards the town of Litterfrack, so you can see like the white houses and the gray chimneys with smoke curling out of them. That was in the center off to the left, there was a large tree that just... No, I'm describing it to you like you're looking at a painting in a museum, like a landscape painting. So there's a tree in the left foreground, bare and gnarled, bent by the wind, ravaged, covered in moss. And then down past the you know small, weather-beaten forest land of Connemara, you get to a large body of water, sort of like a little, I think the word is called like an inlet, inlet? Or it might be a sound, I don't know, it's sort of a bay, I guess you'd call it, like a small bay. Uh, so a small bay on the left side of the paint, left, left background, where the, a large and dark green and dark brown, the Connemara is basically made on marble and this brown earth called peat, which is formed from decaying layers of foliage packed together in bogs over thousands of years. And everybody in this region actually use, harvests peat and uses it as a fuel source because there isn't any reliable trees to cut down. Like It's a very ban, bare weather uh, wind, bleh, landscape. So there's a peninsula made probably exclusively of this peat and dark green, or uh, whether it's bracken or grass, it was too far away to tell, but it cut into the, the bay on the left side, way out into what I think was actually the Atlantic. And then there was a peninsula from the center cutting out that formed the right half of the bay, the bay's boundaries. And that was covered in trees. And then beyond both of those on the left side of the painting, there was basically just a hill floating amidst the edge of the mighty Atlantic. Now on the western, or the, not the western, the right side of the painting, there was another sort of isolated um, hill, except this one was way, it looked like a volcano. The clouds and mist 
of the weather twisted around its summit. And that was more or less adrift in the Atlantic Ocean. And beyond all of that, the ocean sparkled, even through the heavy cloud cover with the sun. All in all, it just made my jaw drop and... I stood there for several seconds. I took pictures. The pictures are amazing. Okay, so now that you have that idea in your mind of what my experience in Ireland this thus far has been like, <sighs> excuse me, I want to explain the theme of today's episode of having expectations. So when you plan a trip, let's say you plan a trip and you plan it fairly extensively. Like You're like me. You like to get into the details a bit. I don't always like to do that, but I do sometimes, especially shorter trips like this was only going to be nine days, so you really had to be smart about it, Um, smart about your time. I think that we all have expectations about the places we're going to see, the people we're going to meet, the food we're going to taste we like to dream up these things because it makes us excited. It's obviously really fun. But a lot of people would tell you, and I would advise as well, don't set those expectations too high because travel often is riddled with problems. And like today, for instance, I missed my bus because I was jet lagged. I was trying to go to sleep. I I went to sleep at 7, woke up at 2.30 And there was some guy snoring who would like come in at about that time to to go to sleep. And he started snoring horribly. And I was just tired. And I didn't want to sit around and do nothing for five hours because I had a a bus to catch at around um, 9.30. So I didn't want to just sit around for seven hours. So I tried to go back to sleep, but it was so hard. I was just lied there for about two hours, 40, just in a state of sort of deliriousness. And then I eventually woke up four minutes before my bus was about to leave. And that, and hence the hitchhiking. And I woke up with a horrible taste in my mouth, but I didn't have a toothbrush because my bloody luggage was left behind. Anyway, my point is things can go wrong. And if you set your expectations too high, they can really be damaged when something does go wrong. But you definitely should set them pretty high. And here's why. What has been so exciting about my trip through Ireland thus far, all of the experiences I've been having, and actually quite a lot of Ireland the last time I was here, 2016, I spent about nine or like seven days, um, is that when we as humans are in a childhood-like state, and we'll describe that as in the sort of Piagetian way. Jean Piaget was a French psychologist, a developmental psychologist. And so if we analyze ourselves at different parts in our lives in a Piagetian way, you find that we go in and out of states of sort of childhood. And basically that's when the knowledge structures that we have built up which we use to navigate the world, are broken and leave us in a state of chaotic unknowing, basically. Um, this, is, this was his hypothesis on why children cry. Um, it's a very well-developed psychological um, 
Let me try to fix this mic. Hold on. It was a very well-developed psychological state. And if, so we, if we look at childhood like that, go in and out of states of childhood throughout our lives. And one of them generally happens before we start traveling in a place because we build expectations of who we're going to meet and what we're going to see, how much fun we're going to have. And then if those knowledge structures that we built don't do a good enough job satisfying that, those expectations, are, those knowledge structures are no longer applicable and we're thrown into sort of a state of chaos. And a lot of people can find this really intense and this is one of the big things that a lot of people are quite intimidated about when considering traveling are these states of chaos where what happens if this happens and this, you know, what would happen if this happened to me, etc., etc. But um, when we make expectations for travel, we're often drawing on things that we have created, knowledge structures we have formed from not just the state of planning the trip, but actually our whole lives. A good example of this is what I'm going to talk about, which is in Connemara, Uh, which happened rather to me today in Connemara. Growing up, I loved The Lord of the Rings, and I loved sword and sorcery novels, and I loved anything to do with the medieval ages and learning about knights or samurai. And so, oops, I had a lot of these moments growing up, whether it was Highlander or Braveheart or Lord of the Rings with the location shooting in New Zealand, like for Emon Muil or um, the Dead Marshes or Rohan, um, Braveheart, Highlander, Game of Thrones, which is obviously set in Northern Ireland. Actually, Braveheart, ironically, is also set in Ireland, in the Wicklow Mountains, despite the fact that it's a Scottish film. Um, All of this gave me this interpretation of what medieval landscapes looked like. And they tended to be sort of weather-beaten, heather-strewn, boggy fields or rolling green hills, all fenced in with stone walls, you know, covered in mist, you know, shrouded in mist and... um, I just felt like walking into Connemara that I was a child again and that I would just love to do a costume drama leaping over these low stone walls and running up hills with a sword in my hand. Um, It gave me a, a, a very similar feeling to the one I had when I was in Utah where I felt like I was in a Conan novel. This time I felt like I was in all those great medieval films I watched as a kid. And it made, it took all of those realities which I stumbled upon coupled with all the images of Connemara and all the expectations I built up just, you know, during the planning phase of the trip, and it put me in like a dream state as I was walking around. Everything was mystical and whimsical and interesting, and trees that, you know, how 
I'd never look second, you know, give a second look to a tree when I was at home. Well, that's not true. I do do that a lot. <laughs> but um, let's just say that I was looking at way more trees than I would normally look at. And, you know, little cops, copses of bushes on the side of the road and or mist swirling around hills. Like everything was interesting. Every bird that flew by again, I said, made the hair on my neck stand up. Every little um, creek or trickle of water that made its way through the sort of boggy country, it just gave me the feeling that I was in Game of Thrones, right? I was in the north, and I guess you don't really see a lot of landscapes in Game of Thrones beyond the wall, or rather, beyond beyond the wall, but... um. Anytime you see the North in the Game of Thrones, it does look a lot like this, and it is filmed in Northern Ireland. So what I'm saying is, is expectations can fulfill an interesting role for travelers, which is sort of like um, the expectations of a place can... Let's see, how can I phrase this? It, it sort of when you build the knowledge structures of what you might or what a place might be when you actually get to that place and actually experience those things those emotions the feelings the landscape the people etc um it actually adds another dimension of enjoyment and it's beyond just looking at trees and birds but it's like it gives you a more, everything sticks in your mind a little more. Everything is, it's like the sauce. It's like the sauce on a plate of pasta. You know, without, without the sauce, the pasta is just sort of, obviously, kind of plain. And I'm not saying Connemara is plain, but what I'm saying is it adds a level of flavor which stays with you and which can't really be replaced by anything else. If I hadn't built the expectations of Connemara as a place where I can ramble and walk around in a, in a beautiful, savage land, it wouldn't have hit me as hard when I thought about all those medieval landscapes that I saw as a kid watching films. Uh, another example of this is like you build up expectations going to somewhere like Colombia, where I just went. And I imagine it's a lot of beautiful women and talkative people and let's say, sort of fiery, dancing, expressive cultures. And uh, within the first couple days, I really did experience that where I was, you know, I had a date with a local who didn't even speak English and was twice my age, but just wanted to welcome me to the city. I saw some cumbia musicians on the side of the road. Uh, they were hype and had dreadlocks on. And there's colorful graffiti every there and everybody dances it's like everybody dances all the time and that was just when you experience your expectations fulfilled it sort of flushes out the character of those expectations even further and you start to 
really be able to see and read within the lines of a place or a people and what they like to do and what they're like, what they like to be. It really is impactful. Uh, An example of this, let's say, not working out was... Ooh, I probably should have prepared an example of a time it didn't work out. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, but obviously if it doesn't work out, you get pretty disappointed. But if you... I think the... Hmm. I think the risk is worth the reward because it can really drop you into a fantastical dreamscape. I remember doing shots of absinthe, or actually I just did one shot of absinthe in uh, Colombia in the tavern in front uh, of where those cumbia dance, uh, you know, um, musicians were playing. I remember drinking absinthe, and li- they had come in and were playing a sort of a very interesting experimental music. And I was in this really weird dream state where I was looking around, and I, this woman gave me her number, and everybody's talking to me in Spanish, whether I understand it or not. And it was just really, really mystical. I just felt like I really was in another country. So building expectations, the bottom line is you have to be responsible. You can't just imagine, oh, I'm going to just, you know, take trains from French city to French city and everything's going to be wonderful And because the French can be really harsh. Well, at least to Americans. Well, I don't know, maybe Englishmen too, I don't know. But at least for me, I've, I found that I didn't really get along too well with the locals Uh, Unlike here, where I just want to talk to them at all points and their accents, especially the Western Irish accent, just makes you just smile and laugh. (laughs) I was in the supermarket and I just heard these two old guys talking about the weather and their their friend came in and they were like, Oh, hi, Martin, how you doing? Or they didn't say how you doing. He said like, "Um, how's it going for you? You know, it just makes you laugh and smile. And so if you build expectations realistically, look at um, different evidence-based interpretations and about cultures and places, it can make the experience way more dreamy. And if an experience is dreamy, I think you're more naturally going to remember it better than something you just sort of stumbled on and it was great and you just experienced like I didn't really know what to expect about Nicaragua when I went there and the few times that I was pretty excited in Nicaragua I hadn't built any you know I I didn't have any reason to be amazed with what I was seeing beyond the fact that it was just cool like I didn't have all that built-up excitement that pent-up energy those starry eyes Um, I didn't have any of that, let's say, armed and ready for when I got to Nicaragua and was, you know, exploring volcanoes and talking to rebels, etc., etc. 
so it's definitely something that if you want to have a really authentic and memorable travel experience, you should really go and do effectively and responsibly. Expectations are important. And also keep into, take into account past experiences that may have shaped your view of different places in the world or cultures. So for instance, I happen to know, I have these two friends, Amanda and Ryan. They have a pod, or I guess they're not really, they're just friendly acquaintances. But they have a podcast called The World Wanderers. Give them a shout out. They have a, it's a great travel podcast. And Amanda said that Japan is her favorite country she's ever visited, and she's visited quite a few. My previous envisionments and you know pieces of information gathered about Japan basically you know creates a world that I never want to go to really because it's all Japanese anime right that's that's what I know of Japan I know they're and it's anime and it's weird it's fetishes it's just nothing normal uh, but I'm sure there's normal people people there and I'm sure there's beautiful architecture and great food but it's just all the all the knowledge structures I've constructed about Japan have all been really weird and really uncomfortable and just not my cup of tea. But I'm sure that wouldn't be the case. So that's an example of not the example I was looking for, which is not, you know, building up expectations too bad or not doing it. I sort of did that. I explained that with Nicaragua. I didn't really have any Uh, expectations, so I wasn't really excited. I was excited because it was a country that not a lot of people I knew had ever planned on visiting. But other than that, it was um, probably one of my less memorable experiences. And I think it's because I didn't have any residual get hype from the rest of my life, you know, the previous years of my life. Like in January, I'm going to China. And I've wanted to go to China like since I was a kid, that's one of the first countries I ever wanted to visit. And so I have all of these, um, this pent up energy for seeing the Forbidden Palace and seeing the Great Wall and going to Tibet and legit seeing Buddhist services and stuff like that. And I'll bet I've, that I've listened to Buddhist, I've bit, listened to Buddhist services on YouTube and stuff, and I'll bet you if I do see an, a, a Buddhist service, I'm going to fall into that dream state again because you're you're drifting into childlike mists of of whimsy and that you have experienced in previous years. Anyway, so. That's what I wanted to talk about today, just an interesting, really interesting experience that I've been having this time around in China, sorry, not in China, in Ireland, because I've been to Ireland once before, and it was, I got very much the same feeling, but this time maybe a little stronger. Well, that's all for me. I wish you all a very blessed Christmas, although I'll probably do another episode at the end of the trip. But I wish you all the best, and I can't wait to hear your travel stories 
Um, you can submit them on the Facebook page for me and everybody to read. I'm trying to, I'd like to try and get more involvement there. Um, stay tuned on my Instagram for pictures and episodical material from this. Anything I talk about, you can see um, on Instagram. So I wish you all happy trails, and I'll talk to you soon. Love you. Mwah.